Hey now, my listeners, it's Liberty. I wanted to take a moment to talk about Giving Tuesday, which is next week on November 28th. Giving Tuesday is an annual event where people around the globe pause after Black Friday and Cyber Monday to give back. What you may not know is that Know Why Podcast is a nonprofit organization, and so we rely on charitable donations to continue operating. If you appreciate the Know Why Podcast, and if you believe in the importance of having deep conversations about questions that matter, would you consider donating to Know Why on Giving Tuesday? You can donate anytime by visiting knowwhypodcast.com and clicking anywhere it says donate. And if giving financially isn't right for you at this moment, but you want to help out, would you give us a good rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast? It only takes a second, but it is so helpful in making sure more people can discover Know Why. Thank you so much for listening. Now let's dive in. A chatbot won't push back on you, won't challenge your perspective on something. You can't really learn humility from a chatbot. Welcome to the Know Why podcast. I'm your host, Liberty McCarter. For many of us, it's not enough to know what people say about life's most important questions. We also want to know why. Each week, Know Why tackles tough questions on topics ranging from spirituality to current events. While we approach these issues from a Christian perspective, we discuss diverse opinions and ultimately dive into what the research says. Are you ready to know why? Let's get started. Welcome to the Know Why Podcast. I'm your host, Liberty McCarter. We are continuing our series on having a healthy relationship with technology. And today we've got a big topic to cover, artificial intelligence. It's something that is becoming more and more a part of our daily lives. And I think we're all thinking about it. And if we're not, we definitely should. So today I want to talk specifically about an article that I read recently that I found fascinating. It's called Imago AI, How Artificial Intelligence Will Shape Our Souls. And this was in the October 2023 edition of Christianity Today magazine. And I am so fortunate that the author of this piece, Kate Lucky, has agreed to join us for the podcast. So thank you so much for joining us today, Kate. Thanks for having me. Kate is the Senior Editor of Audience Engagement at Christianity Today, and as I said, the author of this piece that we're going to be discussing um, that asks the question, how will artificial intelligence shape our souls? And that might be something that you've never really thought about before, but um, let's go ahead and just jump right in. About a year ago, and Kate, this is something that you uh, explain and you write about in your article OpenAI introduced a demo version of ChatGPT. So we've had artificial intelligence, but this was kind of new. Um, this is what we call the chatbots. And so they've introduced, um, and you know, our listeners, maybe you've even experimented with this a little bit, asked the chatbot to uh, write a play or write a poem or, you know, generate an image that looks like a painting and uh, things like that, or had a conversation with it. And so this is something that is new and we're kind of wondering, okay, what effect will this have on us? How do we use this? But specifically, Kate, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, we already have artificial intelligence in our world. We've had technology um, that does very impressive things for a long time. But this idea of this chatbot, this is a little bit different. And why is it a different concern that we need to address? Sure. So as you say, Liberty, artificial intelligence is so baked into so many of the technologies that we use without even thinking about it. 
when we write an email or we write a text message and our sentences are autofilled or that word that you don't want autocorrected is autocorrected and you're frustrated by that, but also is the basis for so many advances in medicine, in firefighting and creation care, in self-driving cars, in how we shop online, in warfare, and in more insidious realms like government surveillance or propaganda, the prevalence of deep fakes. And so when I wanted to start thinking about artificial intelligence, I knew quickly that I was going to have to narrow my topic substantially. And the reason I decided on chatbots in particular is because something about our interaction with them felt not only really novel and timely and sort of more in the public eye than something like uh, an artificial intelligence being used to comb through lots of different scans to come up with a cancer diagnosis. It was something that, as you say, people were playing around with in their own homes, asking it to write poems and stories and songs, kind of a novelty. Um, But it also felt different in kind because it was artificial intelligence acting like a friendly first person, as I put it in the article. So this was an interface that felt like it could reason with us, have conversation with us, make jokes with us, comfort us, an interface that could make art. And that felt different to me than AI combing through vast amounts of data or improving a machine. Artificial intelligence that maybe makes a self-driving car better by taking lots of pictures of the roadway and coming up with the best way to park or brake. That's something that a human could never do. We can drive a car, but we can't assimilate all of that data and make choices. But having conversation, reasoning, making art, that felt totally human to me. And I think that's why when ChatGPT was released to the public, it felt not just like a novelty to people, but something that was sort of frightening and raised all of these questions about what it meant to be human if a machine could mimic being human semi-effectively. Obviously, people right away found the cracks in what Uh, these bots were capable of, and they found their limitations. And the novelty started to fade as people found that they were a one-trick pony in some sense was what you could ask them to do. But even still, I think that um, the dream that some technologists for what these kinds of programs could be also felt really important as a Christian. So in the piece, I quote Mark Andreessen, who's a venture capitalist, who's really bullish on AI, And he wrote sort of a glowing blog post about how he dreams of a day when every child will have an AI tutor and every person will have an AI assistant slash coach slash mentor slash trainer slash advisor slash therapist. And those are roles that we filled by humans. So in that way, chatbots feel different to me than other forms of artificial intelligence. And the moral questions and the questions they raise for Christians in particular are different too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I also found that quote fascinating. And to think, you know, on the one hand, that I AI could become so ingrained in our everyday life, like that's just, you know, even like you said, people are kind of playing around with the novelty of it. But that the fact that people have that vision, it 
it does really make you think like, wow, is that the future we're headed toward? And, you know, um, I'm also a teacher. And so I have students in middle school and high school and they talk about, you know, yeah, Snapchat has this thing called my AI now when we were talking to it. And so this is definitely something that a lot of people are experimenting with. But all of the effects uh, that we're seeing or the potential effects of interacting with chatbots, um, they're not actually new. In fact, you mentioned something in your article called the ELISA effect. So could you tell listeners what that is and explain that a little bit? Many of the technologists and the theologians that I interviewed for this piece mentioned the ELISA effect to me. And in the 1960s, an MIT computer scientist found that people would divulge really intimate details of their life to even a rudimentary chat program. Uh, his program was called ELISA. So the ELISA effect is named for that chatbot, and it describes our tendency to assume a greater intelligence behind computer personalities, even when we know better. So if you're talking to Siri, you know at some level that Siri is a robot, not a person. But you might find yourself getting frustrated with Siri. You might find yourself trying to phrase questions differently, hoping that the bot somehow understands in the same way that you might feel frustration if you were speaking to a friend or a colleague who just wasn't understanding the question you were trying to ask. So I think that even when we know that what we're communicating with is not a person, maybe we're talking to a customer service chat box, we're trying to return a piece of clothing we ordered or something like that. We can still find ourselves feeling positively or negatively toward these robot personalities as we would with a person. And I think that's only natural. It's because what we've become accustomed to as human beings and most of our day-to-day interactions is talking to real people. Mm, Yeah. So speaking of that, um, one of the things you write is our future when an advancing AI has implications not only for our relationships with um, artificial intelligence, but also for our relationships with each other. Um, I wanted to talk about that a little bit because like you said, it does, I've definitely been guilty of getting frustrated at Siri when I'm trying to ask a question and, you know, it responds, I don't understand or (laughs) something like that. And um, so, you know, I think it's important, uh, as you mentioned in the article, how we interact with chatbots, but we don't really think about that influencing how we then are going to interact with other people, but it really does have an impact, doesn't it? I think so. And this is the sort of core of the piece for me. Obviously, even when I narrowed my topic to chatbots, there are all kinds of other questions that arise aside from the sort of soul formation questions. Like you say, you're a teacher. Obviously, one of the big questions about generative AI is how it's going to impact the future of work Mm -hmm. and how we think about creativity, writing essays, scripts. This is a big part of the recent writer's strike in Hollywood, creating music. Um, So there are all kinds of other questions wrapped up in there about work and the purpose of work and stewardship and creativity. But again, I started decided to narrow my focus further and think, well, what is interacting with AI as a chatbot going to do with our relationships with each other? And pretty quickly, I realized that the essential question here isn't, are we going to hurt the AI's feelings? Um, mm-hmm. That's sort of a goofy question. Um, and the, other, the, the real question is, how are we going to inform our own souls and condition them based on how we interact with these bots? So if we're rude, if we're terse, 
if we are crude or crass or explicit with bots. And, you know, this is an issue already as sites like Replica start to offer robot romantic partners, um, boyfriends and girlfriends for people. Um, It's an issue when we think about, again, those customer service bots, um, maybe subbing in for an interaction we would usually have in person at the DMV, for example. If we accustom ourselves to speaking in certain ways to those bots, then it seems only natural that they'll affect our real-life relationships. They'll condition us toward a certain pattern of interaction in the world. And something that another uh, theologian academic that I spoke with brought up was that we also are missing out on opportunities for formation of Christian virtue when we're speaking to chatbots. So a chatbot won't push back on you, won't challenge your perspective on something. You can't really learn humility from a chatbot. You can't really learn the art of bearing with someone who's telling a really long story. It is kind of frustrating. We've all been caught up in a conversation maybe after church with a fellow congregant who is telling you a long anecdote when really you just want to get out the door and go get brunch. Mm. But you're required to sort of bear with that person and love and listen to them. Um, Being in Christian community requires us to be with people who are difficult, people who are rude or messy, people who don't always give us what we want. Being in a workplace requires that, being in a neighborhood or a family. And I think one of the dangers of thinking about how we can optimize all of our relationships um, or optimize the relationships that we have with chatbots is that that's not how real people work. And if you expect that the real people you're interacting with are always going to have a direct answer to your question or are going to do things in the most efficient way that respects your time, that's taking a lot of the richness out of human relationship. And also, it's just not very realistic. So that's sort of an extreme example. Um, I don't think there's a danger that these chatbots will supplant all the relationships in our life. Um, I'm, I'm a little skeptical even about Mark Andreessen's vision that we're all going to have an assistant, tutor, coach, mentor. Um, but even at lesser levels of engagement with these bots, I think there's a sort of philosophy behind them that efficiency and um, just getting what we want as quickly as possible out of an interaction is always a thing to be desired. And I just think as Christians, we can't really say that with, with any kind of confidence. Yeah, well, so well said. And I love how you make, how you phrased that, you know, when we escape interactions with real people, however, you know, inconvenient or messy they might be, sometimes we're missing out on the richness of life. And I just want to, you know, make a quick note here too. This isn't a new um, desire or temptation, I think, to try to escape those imperfections of human interaction. This is something that, is ancient. And one of the uh, books that I was reading with some of my students for literature went over the story of Pygmalion and one of the, you know, books on Greek mythology and everything and how he didn't like real women. And so he created a statue that then became real. And it was his perfect ideal because um, real people weren't good enough for him. And it really made me think of this, you know, what we're talking about right now, because it's like how how much more are we trying to do that now? Like you said, with romantic relationships or even just, you know, customer service, I don't want to deal with, 
you know, somebody who isn't going to respect my time, but that's putting our own interest, you know, above everything else. And, you know, this is something that we've covered on past episodes and, and we'll talk about more, but there is so much evidence and everything that points to the fact that when we actually have more of a servant mindset, um, you know, and, and generosity of spirit toward other people, even if that means inconveniencing ourselves, sometimes that actually leads us to be so much more happier and fulfilled. And I think, again, back to your point of just having that richness of life, we think that it's going to make streamline our lives maybe to um, have chatbots that can help us in so many ways. But I think we'll actually be missing out on a lot. Uh, but kind of on that note, something that um, the U.S. Surgeon General said earlier this year uh, released an advisory about the epidemic of loneliness and isolation in America. And there was some really startling findings in here, including that um, the lack of social connection can increase your risk for premature, premature death as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And that surprisingly young people are almost twice as likely to report feeling lonely than people over the age of 65. So I wanted to bring this into the conversation because um, as we talk about chatbots and their ability to really mimic human interaction, do you think that our epidemic of loneliness is going to be, I don't know, alleviated or exacerbated by the chatbots becoming more prevalent in our lives? It's a great question. Certainly don't think it will be alleviated. Um, might be exacerbated. I think there are so many factors at play in the loneliness conversation. Um, and it's a really troublesome epidemic, as you put it, that has to do with all kinds of things about how we structure our schools and our communities, our neighborhoods and social media and siloing of information, all kinds of things going on there. Um, you know, I wanted to be careful in the piece about coming down too hard on these chatbots, because I do think there are pretty exciting uses for them. Um, you know, I think an AI therapist, for example, might be more affordable or more immediately accessible than a mental health professional with a really long wait list and a copay. Maybe they work best as an initial intervention. So an AI therapist might be able to send you a link to an online resource or screen for suicidal ideation, get people help really quickly when they need it. I think the same might be true of a tutor. Maybe you really do just need a reminder of how to perform long division and a tutor could help you with that. And you're a student who's at a school with fewer resources. Um, as I say this out loud, obviously we can all agree. I think that the ideal would be to have human therapists that were more easily accessible and affordable to people and mm -hmm. teachers who were more accessible and affordable. But in the world in which we live, I think there's, there are certainly use cases where these chatbots could be helpful in bridging some gaps, at least in the interim between getting someone who needs help connected to a real person. But that said, as stand-ins for the sort of flourishing relationships that a lot of the loneliness data say Americans are missing, not only within their families, but within their communities, within their bowling leagues, or within their churches, within other kinds of civic communities... I don't think that chatbots are going to replace that kind of network in particular because those are webs of relationship. And when you're speaking with a chatbot, you're, you're really not even speaking with 
one person, you're speaking sort of with yourself and a machine. It's sort of reflecting back at you the inputs that you provide. And a lot of the folks that I talked to for the story mentioned that social media is a place where we sort of fell down as the church on early discipleship. We didn't teach people how they should interact online or how they should think biblically when they're on Facebook or on Twitter slash X or on Instagram, and that we're in danger of doing the same thing here. But they also mentioned to me that at least on social media, there's the potential for social connection. You can see a picture of your friend's baby, or you can wish someone a happy birthday. You can have a conversation with someone about an article or a funny video. And with these chatbots, it's really just you in a room and there's no there there on the other side of the screen. So that's another reason why I think even if we have optimism that there can be some digital remedies or some digital communities that help us through the loneliness epidemic, that that's probably not going to come from our interactions with chatbots. Be sure to tune in next week for part two of our interview with Kate Lucky.